When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thursday, May 5th, we are into the second month of the Major League Baseball season. Al Melchior and Michael Beller. I don't know why I said Al's name first, but hey, why the hell not? Al Melchior, Michael Beller, that's me. We are here with you on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is another Beat Writer episode. we got three great beats coming your way to give you the -the on-the-ground knowledge around their teams, and we'll spin that into how we can use that for the fantasy baseball world. Mr. Melchior, what's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, very good. Uh, you know, with the the first introduction uh, of, right? of the show, I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm off to a good start here. Yeah, riding high, riding high for sure. As we <laughs> kick off this episode of TAFBP, as I just said, three beat writers coming your way on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We start out in the Pacific Northwest, and Corey Brock, who covers the Seattle Mariners here at the Athletic. Corey, thanks for being with us on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Yeah, gentlemen, good to hear from you and uh, excited to catch up. Yeah, well, let's catch up. This is certainly a fun team. It's a team that, uh, I don't know, playing maybe a little bit below expectations right now. And there's a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of interesting to talk about in the fantasy baseball world. Let's start out with Logan Gilbert, who is off to just a fantastic start in this 2022 season. Uh, what What is working for Gilbert right now? How much of this is sustainable? And what do you expect we see from him for the remainder of the season? Yeah, apparently everything's working for him, you know, he, uh, and we saw glimpses of this last year, guys. You remember when he came up from Tacoma in May and I still go back to a, I think it was a Sunday afternoon day game against the Yankees. I think it one hit over seven shutout innings. And so you saw a young guy with really dominant stuff and he, you know, maybe had a few clunkers along the way, but it just looked like a young guy trying to figure things out. And this year, boy, he has been really electric you know it's a diverse pitch mix uh it starts with the fastball that he could uh command um he, he gets it up in the batter's eye a little bit and that's a tough pitch to lay off and it's a tough pitch to square up and then his secondary pitches he kind of revamped some grips during spring training really found something that worked for him a very analytical guy uh really good head on his shoulders and i think truly the sky's the limit if, if people haven't drafted him already I'd go get him right now. Yeah, I wish I had uh, drafted Logan Gilbert a little bit more than I did. Uh, I'm just happy to have him on the one team where I do have him. Uh, I actually have Matt Brash on more teams than I have Logan Gilbert. I was one of, I think, many who really uh, made a big fab splurge in the first week to get Matt Brash. It hasn't really worked out so far. Is he in danger of getting sent back down? I think so. I, I do. You know, this is a young guy who won that number five job coming out of spring training with just a dynamite spring training. Um, Again, electric pitch mix, uh, his slider moves like a few others do. Um, But what's happened now is he's gotten into the big leagues and on the game's biggest stage is 
hitters won't chase. Hitters won't chase mm-hmm. that stuff out of the strike zone until you show that you could command your pitches in the strike zone. And he just doesn't, he hasn't done that lately. I think it's something like 17 walks and 20 innings. Uh, he's not a finished product. Again, they, they really like the pitcher. They really like the person. They think he's going to be very good, but maybe his time isn't right now, especially, you know, if we're talking about a team now with the Mariners, you know, they've gone through this rebuilding mode. Uh, their window of opportunity is now. Let me follow up on that and say, let's just put ourselves in a world where Brash struggles in his next outing, his next two outings, and the Mariners ultimately do decide to send him back to Tacoma. Asking you to make a few leaps here, but what would it take in a world where he gets sent down? What would it take for him to get back up? Would it be just a short term, get your head right? Would it be the Mariners needing to see some good results at the AAA level before they brought him up in a world where he gets sent down? What gets him back to Seattle? Yeah, it's not even a head thing. It's it's truly just improved command of his pitches and getting in the strike zone and being consistent with that. And, you know, it, you know these things happen with young players. We've seen oh, it yeah. before. We saw it last summer with Jared Kelnick, right? Um, this, this kind of stuff happens. They got a couple of really exciting young guys in double A who I think we're going to see at some point in the big leagues. George Kirby, a former first round pick, and Levi Stout, another guy who they're really high on. So, Maybe one of these guys gets an opportunity if Brash goes down. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a do-good league. And, um, you know, you could have a lot of patience with these young guys. But if you're trying to win now, um, you got to make moves that reflect that. Well, I was a little bit uh, surprised to hear you mention Levi Stout. Uh, I've been actually in a dynasty league getting a lot of interest on George Kirby. I've been really reluctant to trade him because I, I was hoping his time would come soon. soon. So, you know, whether Brash sticks or not. Uh, what's the timetable you think for us seeing George Kirby uh, in Seattle? And if not there, maybe uh, at least getting bumped up to Tacoma. Yeah, I think honestly, he could pitch in the big leagues now. And the same probably stands for Levi Stout. You know, these guys are command specialists. They, they throw a ton of strikes, um, pretty electric skill set in terms of their pitch mix, um, the way the ball moves and the way they think and attack hitters. So, you know, not, not nearly as many command issues in their past as Brash had. And this is a guy that hadn't pitched a whole lot in the minor leagues. Certainly the lost season of 2020 didn't help him either in terms of development. But, you know, I still think he's going to be a really good pitcher. But I would keep an eye on these other two guys, uh, Kirby and Stout, because they're going to pitch in the big leagues this season. Yeah, Kirby absolutely just crushing competition at the AA level. A 1.82 ERA of 0.89 whip, 32 strikeouts against just five walks in 24 and two-thirds innings. So definitely feels like the guy who at least needs a, a bump up in competition to the AAA level and would be a lot of fun to see him in the majors as well this year. Someone who is already performing well for the Seattle team this season is J.P. Crawford, a guy who, you know, over his time in the majors, a couple of stops, we've sort of been waiting to see this version of J.P. Crawford. So uh, what has clicked for him in this first month of the 2022 season? Well, he, he became a very rich man on opening day when they gave him that contract <laughs> sure. extension. But I think we've seen this coming. Uh, this is a guy that won a gold glove in 2020, and last year his bat started to catch up to his glove. Uh, he's stronger now, even though when you look at him on TV, it looks like he weighs 140 pounds. He is built a, a lot stronger now, has added some muscle to help him you know, sort of sustain his strength throughout an entire season. But you know, the one thing he's doing this year now that he hasn't done a whole lot of before is really driving the ball. I think maybe you guys might have it there. I think he said maybe up to three home runs now, um, which, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, 
if you're you're I think you're looking at a guy that maybe hit between 12 and 15 home runs, especially playing at shortstop and a guy that's going to get a lot of hits. Uh, looks like this is all pretty sustainable. It's just all kind of coming together for him after a rough start of his career in Philadelphia. This looks like a guy that's really figured it out. Yeah, your point about the uh, Crawford is is well taken. He's up to four home runs now, four, okay. and is yeah, and his his career high career high is nine. So hmm. that really does does mm-hmm. put that in perspective. Uh, do you think that Crawford uh, will settle in uh, in the the upper portion of the batting order because he's uh, hit third in a couple of games recently, moving up the the order? Uh, you think he'll stick there? Yeah, I do. Until these other guys. You know, if and when they start to get hot a little bit, I'm still waiting on Jesse Winker, who has been extremely unlucky on balls and play, um, still walking a ton. I think there's a good player there still. Obviously, he has a track record um, waiting for some of the guys lower in the order to kind of heat up a little bit. But right now it's it's Ty France and J.P. Crawford kind of steering the ship. Yeah, let's talk about those guys who are struggling for this team. You have uh, the other guy brought over from the Reds in that same deal as Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, Julio Rodriguez. The guy's a rookie. We can cut him some slack, certainly, but uh, been a bit of a struggle for him. 230, 295, 310. And then Jared Kelenic, again, 127-213-268 on the for him thus far this season. Uh, what's the concern level inside the organization for these three guys right now after their slow first starts to the year? Yeah, I would say the the highest concern by far is with Kelnick. Um, And certainly he's running into some bad luck too. But, you know, he came up last year, really, really struggled. They sent him back to Tacoma. Uh, When he came up later in the year, I will say if you look at his numbers in September, they were pretty good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he helped kind of push them along, you know, where they were playing meaningful games on the last weekend of the year. But, yeah, it's kind of been a supreme struggle for him. You know, the strikeout rate is probably running close to, I don't know, 37%. Yep. Um, that's a big concern. Um, if I'm not sure if a, a move back uh, to Tacoma might be in the cards for him. Uh, Julio Rodriguez has actually played much better lately. And as I'm sure you guys have seen, he has gotten uh, – he's been the recipient of some, uh, some, <laughs> some bad umpiring on uh, called third strikes out of the strike zone, something like 10 already. But to his credit – He's staying sort of with his plan and within himself, and he's not chasing results. Um, there's some, I think there's some possibility, obviously, for some steals there, which I didn't know. I, I didn't think that we'd always see that. I think he's up to nine now. Um, so I, I think I, th- I think we're seeing the makings of a really good young hitter. It's just going to kind of take him time to get adjusted. But I like the way he's handled this adversity early on, especially with some of these calls outside the strike zone, um, which it's been sort of alarming. And I'm sure you guys have seen some of these um, videos kind of pop up, but just how far some of these misses are, but he's okay. And then Winker, like I think Winker's going to be fine. Um, He's got a track record with the Reds. He's still walking a ton. Um, The batting average on balls in play is really, really low. I would expect him to heat up as summer goes along. Yeah, it's a team that, uh, again, with all these bats, certainly we expect the offense to play up a little bit as we uh, get into the warmer months of the year and just get deeper into the season. And maybe uh, what we're seeing now certainly could just be the uh, the vagaries of the game and that there's happening to have some of their worst stretches of the year and what has made up the entirety of the year to this point. It's definitely a very exciting, fun team for both real-life baseball and the fantasy world. Corey Brock, Seattle Mariners beat writer here at The Athletic. Corey, thanks again for being with us on The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. 
Yeah, always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Moving right along on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast, we move from Seattle to Houston. Jake Kaplan, our Houston Astros beat writer at The Athletic, joins us for a few minutes to talk Astros. Jake, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you guys doing? We're doing uh, We're doing pretty well. We're doing uh, very well. We uh, love these uh, beat writer episodes, love the differentiation we're able to bring to uh, the Fantasy Baseball Podcast world. Your uh, division mate, Corey Brock, joining us right before you. And so now uh, feeling like a little bit of an AL West edition of this episode, but that's good because this is a fun division. The, C- the Mariners, obviously, a fun team with a lot of fantasy storylines, and the Astros are in that same vein. The one that is top of mind for me right now, Jake, is Kristen Javier. Uh, a great start to the season as a long man out of the bullpen has now made two starts for the Astros. Those two starts cover 10 and one-thirds innings, struck out eight, walked four, has given up a pair of earned runs. So he really has looked the part of someone who can remain in the rotation. We know the Astros are going to stick with a six-man rotation for the next couple of weeks, but once or if they decide to cut down to five, when they make that decision, is Javier going to be able to stick in the rotation? And if so, who's the odd man out? Yeah, I I think they will soon, um, relatively soon, go back to a five-man rotation. I don't know how soon. I mean, they do have an off day Monday, so they could have to be creative around that so that guys aren't going a week between starts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, they've left no doubt that they will eventually settle back into, into a five-man. Um, so yeah, it's it's unclear. I think it really depends on who's pitching well, um, you know, what their needs are in the bullpen because the downside of a six-man bullpen or six-man rotation is you have a short bullpen. Uh, Javier has the most experience in the bullpen relative to Jose Urquidy, who struggled in the rotation so far this year, or Jake Odorizzi. Um, so it wouldn't be a shock if, if Javier went back to the bullpen. I don't think it's a lock by any means that he sticks in the rotation. I think it's pretty clear he's a major league caliber starter, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's still kind of unclear how the, that four, five, six in their starting ranks will, will shake out in the next two or three weeks. Uh, do you have a, an update on Lance McCullers Jr. and uh, if he is going to be back any time in the fairly near future, uh, how do you see the, the rotation shaping up uh, once he, he comes back? Well, he's on the 60-day IL, and so the earliest he could come back is the first week of June. Um, but... He's, he's just playing catch at this point. He's not off the mound yet. He's not on a rehab assignment yet. So still got a lot of steps uh, before he's he's back in the rotation. And by the time that occurs, I think it will be, you know, so much more will have happened one way or the other that those things usually figure themselves out because, um, you know, I, last year, for example, the Astros had this same number of starters uh but it seemed like one or two were always on the il you know so over the course of the year i think it'll kind of sort itself out but obviously mccullers when healthy is in the rotation it's just a matter of when that's going to be at this point all right i'm going to ask you one more quick thing on javier in this rotation before we move on from this group of guys as you said Kristen javier has proved himself certainly a major league caliber starting pitcher at the same time He does have that bullpen experience, and not just the experience, he's been very good in that role as well. Basically, Christian Javier is just a really, really good pitcher who can succeed in basically any role the Astros ask of him. So we're not going to hold you to this. I'm not going to come back to you on like June 5th and be like, oh, Jake, you were wrong. But if you had to predict right now, will it be Javier's bullpen experience that wins out and ultimately forces him back into the bullpen in a less valuable fantasy role? Or will that high-end performance we've seen from him 
keep him in the rotation and push either Arkiti or Oda Rizzi into the bullpen? And I guess what over these next few weeks is going to most determine that? I That's a great question. I, I could see a, a combination of both being the answer, if that makes sense. I could see him going back to the bullpen for a stretch and then going back to the rotation when someone gets hurt because we all know they're not going to need only six starters for 162 mm-hmm. games. So I could see it being kind of a constant question throughout the year. Um, you know, I, I don't expect Jose Arquiti to struggle all year either. Like he's been really good as well. It's been a little bit of a weird start for him. Um, you know, but it, I mean, there is a, a thing where it's like if Arquiti, I mean, if Javier keeps dominating, you can't take him out of the rotation. So, um, Right now, if I were to predict, I would say he stays in. But, you know, I, I would, it also wouldn't shock me if he went out and then came back in two weeks later. All right, well, uh, yeah, let's shift our focus to the outfield and particularly center field where there's been pretty much of a platoon between Chas McCormick and Jose Siri. Uh, that situation is not really done either one favors in terms of fantasy value. So do you see either one potentially emerging as something close to a, a regular center fielder? McCormick's definitely outplayed Siri, and he's gotten quite a bit more at-bats than Siri at this point. Um, it helps McCormick that he can also spell left field and right field when uh, one of those guys is off or at DH. He's he's clearly like the better option there, um, but I don't think he's going to be the everyday guy anytime soon. And then complicating things is Jake Myers is on the way back. He's still in Florida rehabbing, and he hasn't, at least as of this taping, gotten into games yet. But it sounds like he's getting close to getting into games, and so I would expect a you know like a June seems reasonable return date for him, and then it becomes kind of the McCormick Meyer show, and and Siri to me would be like the odd man out who who does have an option and maybe goes back to AAA, uh, maybe someone gets hurt between now and then, but. Uh, you're still dealing with the same thing where I don't know if either McCormick or Myers is the everyday guy and they're probably uh, splitting time, you know, in a timeshare like they were in the second half of last season. Jake, this Houston team has about as set a one through nine as you see in today's MLB. And it's not just uh, the players who are involved, but it is Jose Altuve up top, Michael Brantley hitting second, Alex Bregman hitting third, Jordan Alvarez fourth, Yuli Gurriel fifth, Kyle Tucker sixth. It is just one through nine, pretty much as locked in. You don't even really need to look at the lineup card all that often to know who is playing and who is hitting where. Do you see any chance that Dusty Baker shakes this up given some of the tepid results, especially compared to the expectations for this team that we've seen this far? I think you should. <laughs> I mean, he has <laughs> Kyle Tucker hitting sixth. Um, but I thought that last year too, and he, he didn't, although he did – shake it up a little bit in the World Series by dropping Alex Bregman when he was clearly hurt and struggling. Uh, So he has shown that he will change and he will adapt, but um, I'm kind of, uh, when it comes to the batting order, I'm kind of in, I'll believe it when I see it mode. Uh, This has kind of been Dusty Baker's uh, preferred order for a while now. Um, You know, it would be easy to argue that Michael Brantley should drop against lefties. Kyle Tucker should be higher in general. Um, You know, I mean, there was a couple of games where Nico Goodrum batted second or third. Like, obviously, that's illogical. But, you know, there's there's things like that that'll happen. Uh, but, I, you know, I I don't know. I could, I could see it with a bigger sample. Maybe he makes a change. But um, right now, in the near future, it seems like this is what he's sticking with. When can we expect Ryan Presley to return? And when he does, 
Uh, is it your understanding that he'll be eased back in as the primary or maybe even sole closer? Are those roles maybe up for grabs at this point? How do you see that playing out? I think he'll slide back into a closer spot. Um, they haven't really had a set closer in his absence. It's kind of been like a Hector Neris, Ryan Stanek, Rafael Montero timeshare. And I think, uh, you know, just it'll just deepen their bullpen by putting Presley back in the ninth, and then those guys can move up a spot. Uh, it sounds like he could be back very soon. I, I mean, it sounded like he could be back very soon a week or 10 days ago also. So um, I don't know when this this is airing. He could be back by the time this people are listening to this mm-hmm. or, or, or back soon. Uh, he threw a rehab outing on Tuesday night in Sugarland. Um, six pitches, six strikes, one, two, three inning. Something to keep an eye on for fantasy players is his velocity has been down. I mean, it was, it was I believe, before his injury. It was 92-93. In Sugarland the other night, it was 93. So, you know, he's usually 95. Not a huge gap, but something to, to keep an eye on. Um, you know, but obviously he's also so reliant on spin with his two breaking balls. So, um, maybe velocity is not as big a deal there, but obviously it's, it, it, you know, it always matters. If all goes well, Jake, uh, this episode will be uh, probably about maybe 90 minutes or so from these exact words coming out of my mouth. So uh, if, if, you know, I don't think press is going to get activated between now and then, but either way, it's, it's good to hear. It's yeah. possible. I mean, they, they, they <laughs> both send out their game notes in, in the next two hours. and Maybe there'll right. be a roster move in there. Who knows? There we go. Now, this is this is what I'm excited about for the next 90 minutes, to see if we can get Ryan <laughs> Presley activated under the gun before I get this button. I've got, I've got a target to race for now. Yeah, this is great. This is awesome. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love uh, having the Astros talk here on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's Jake Kaplan, Astros beat reporter at The Athletic. Jake, thanks for being with us again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Okay, one more beat writer joining us on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We wrap things up by heading over to Chicago and bringing on James Fegan, our White Sox beat writer at The Athletic. James, thanks for being with us on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Well, my wife is out of the apartment, so this is a way of keeping me on task while she's gone. So, <laughs> Hey, man. That's what all we try to do on this show is just provide for everyone we provide for the listeners we provide for our guests we provide for ourselves a little bit of entertainment and some knowledge gaining on uh, the teams we've had mariners and astros on before you and so now we get an insight into the chicago white Sox, a team that going back for a couple of years now has had some of the worst injury luck in major league baseball uh, that has continued once again today with andrew vaughn going on the il but i want to ask you first about a couple of guys who have been on the il for a little bit longer than that yoan moncada and lance lynn what sort of updates can you give us on those guys and the timetables for them to return to the field? If Yohan Mankata is not playing on Monday, you know, I won't eat my hat. That'd be too much. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, 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 that's the expectation. He's, there was a little bit of discussion of maybe cutting his rehab assignment short um, this weekend, having him play in Boston. I don't know, get revenge and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it sounds like they're just targeting the next homestand. Lance Lynn has been throwing... Uh, off a mound for a week now, I would say. Um, the latest on that is that they do expect him to pitch this month. Would be the very end of the month uh, to really be the you know very hard slotting of the eight week timeline that was prescribed at the end of spring training. But there's been no setbacks so far. He's throwing. He looks fine. Well, he looks like Lance Lynn. And um, yeah, I, I, Joe Kelly, I think, would be alongside that. He's also basically expected to be ready. At the same time as Mankata, he's been a rehab stint in Charlotte as well. 
Well, not only has the team had uh, the the injury bad luck uh, that they had last year too, but you just you look up and down this White Sox lineup and a lot of underperforming hitters. Uh, really, aside from Tim Anderson and Andrew Vaughn, uh, pretty much the whole lineup is performing well short of expectations. But which of those hitters that are falling short of expectations have you seen some hopeful signs from lately? Luis Roberts been pretty good since he came back from uh, the groin strain, and he looked really good for the first week of the season. He got into kind of a pronounced kind of weird slump there as a kind of a streaky hitter in general. Um, but I, I think he's looked kind of consistently hitterish uh, for most of the season. I mean, he had three hits uh, on Monday uh, where he looked at his normal self. He's, he's shown a lot of a, you know, willingness to drive the ball to the opposite field. I would say AJ Pollock looked really good for like the speed for a little time before he strained his hamstring. Has been totally out of sorts since, but that doesn't seem like this guy's old or this guy's forgot how to hit. It seems more like he he missed eleven days. He didn't do a rehab stint, and he was off time for a very aggressive fastball hitter who kind of needs his timing to survive. Um, he's one of the older guys to kind of go with, but um, and, and thus you always kind of worry like, is this the end a little bit? And I get why you might feel that way for Yasmani Grandal mm-hmm. or Jose Abreu. Grandal's been taking a bit more walks recently, looking a bit more like he has his kind of you know very sage strike zone discipline. And you know Abreu has been um, hitting the ball hard pretty consistently. You know I, I don't know how much you can trust like the Statcast expected metrics uh, this season with the way everything's going, but he's been consistently with his exit velocity in the top realm of the league and thus supposed someone who's supposed to slug a lot more than he has. He homered, um, I don't know, this is going out, but just on Wednesday night. Uh, so I, I expect him to get normal. He's always struggled in cold weather. Um, I don't know. Everybody should be good eventually, right? <laughs> yeah. We certainly would expect that with this team, a team that came into the year with uh, justifiably high expectations, the big favorite in the AL Central, one of the favorites to win the AL pennant and even the World Series. So definitely expect them to get right. Someone who has been right, right from day one, Dylan Cease, just off to a phenomenal start this season. A 2.48 ERA, a whip that's underneath one. He's got 39 Ks in 29 innings. K rate up, walk rate down from a season ago. From what you've seen, is this a new level or just something of a hot streak we're seeing out of Dylan Cease? Uh, I mean, he's going to have hot streaks because he's a big stuff over command guy, right? So there's going to be stretches where maybe he struggles uh, throwing strikes or starts yanking the fastball a little bit or maybe just isn't throwing four pitches with command the way he has this season. But obviously what it looks like right now is a guy taking a leap and, and somebody that, you know, Giolito or Kopech would tell you, like, yeah, that guy's got the best stuff in the rotation, which obviously coming from them uh, is, is a, a big endorsement. So he's definitely a guy who's capable of taking another leap from what he was last season. I would think that he'll probably be someone who runs a bit more hot and cold or maybe can have the blow-up outing when he does fall up behind that maybe you know drags him back to earth on a season status uh, overall. But yeah, he's got a lot of talent. He's got um, you know consistent upper 90s velocity. I think he'll probably tick up over the course of the year more than he has so far. And right now, he's a guy who, more than anything, and the big separator from now in 2020 is Dylan Cease can fall behind 2-0 and you know, flip a breaking ball in for a strike and get back in the count. He used to be a guy he'd fall behind and you just have to go here, hit it with all his heaters. And that's why his heater got hit harder than you'd think, given the qualities it has. But he, he's a guy who can kind of pitch backwards and in different ways right now. And I don't know if it's going to be forever. It's going to be all 33 starts. But when he can do it, it's pretty scary. Well, we've already brought up uh, Andrew Vaughn's name a couple of times here. Uh, so he'll be out for a little while. Uh, it seems like Adam Engel maybe has uh, gotten a little bit of a, a playing time bump. But while Vaughn is out, who do you expect to pick up the slack? Angle and Sheets, I would say. Uh, Sheets is a guy who's 
struggled pretty much all year and you know hasn't looked like you know last year at any point uh it's not like a huge k-rate spike or anything like that to really point to but he's their guy that they need to be that left-handed power this is a team that kills lefties and has really struggled against righties last season and or this season last season too and vaughn improving against righties the way he had was like a big you know they're saving grace um uh, this season so far so that just puts more on sheets to kind of step up and they'll probably continue to throw them out there against righties to try to get something going uh on that end but angle is somebody that you know they like using one of the defensive replacement or to sub in for Luis robert in center field because he's just so good defensively and you know he's shown a little bit of pop he's shown some ability to hit uh at least in matchup based situations over the last year and a half or so so i i think if Sheets definitely continues to struggle, then Engel's probably going to start every game against a left-handed starter that they have uh, until Vaughn comes back. Michael Kopech also off to a nice start this season, and this is you know the first time in Kopech's career that he's been a locked-in member of a rotation. We knew that really at the end of last year that that was going to be the case for him all the way through spring and here into the regular season. Never been a question about what Michael Kopech's role was going to be with this White Sox team in 2022, and he has rewarded the team with a really strong performance to this point of the year. So what are your takeaways from Kopech's first month of his career as a locked-in, no-doubt-about-it starting pitcher? Pretty good considering. I mean, his spring training was uh, chaotic. Uh, he had COVID in late April, or mm-hmm. not late April, late February, and that put him behind. And his last spring training start was like not good, and he didn't get through three innings. And the whole thing was that he was going to be brought along slowly as as it already was in the first half to kind of manage his innings. And you know, you saw more of that the other night where he uh, you know went four innings, uh, and you hoped that he kind of hit his pace. Uh, second half. I still don't think you're seeing the top velocity that you're going to see uh, in the second half based on how it ticked up over the course of last year for him. Um, so with that in mind, the fact that he's out here, you know, still throwing his fastball by people because it's got the kind of special movement um, that you want as far as riding action and really throwing that curveball, a third pitch for him, very consistently as a strike grabber and as a chase pitch when he wants it. He's really not feeling slider right now, but that's a pitch that's been his, you know, his best breaking ball since he was 18 years old. Uh, if not longer, I, I think he's doing pretty well considering I don't think you're seeing anything that's close to really what his best is. Obviously, he's got to stay healthy. You know, obviously, he's had, you know, mechanical falling outs before in bad stretches. Uh, I, I don't want to promise the world of him or everything's going to be better than it is uh, forever and, and going forward. But I don't think you've seen him at the height of his powers by any means. And it's been pretty good. Uh, it's You know, you haven't seen six, seven innings, but you've seen a guy who you understand why the ingredients are there for the rotation. And uh, yeah, he was kind of locked in the rotation at the end of 2018, and then he, he blew yeah. out. And now, only four years later, we're finally kind of seeing him take the next step of evolution after that. Yeah, definitely a guy who uh, has had to work hard to get to this point has certainly earned his way into this starting rotation, a fearsome rotation, a lineup that we expect to be better over the course of the regular season. That's James Fegan, White Sox beat reporter at The Athletic. James, thanks again for being with us on The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Happy to do it. For 10 minutes, I didn't knock over anything in my kitchen. (laughs) Didn't knock over anything in the kitchen, but knocked us over with all the great White Sox information. So we will absolutely uh, take that trade 10 times out of 10. And we hope you will as well. Thanks for being with us, uh, all you listeners on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Because that's going to wrap things up for this episode. For all of our beat writers, James Fegan, Jake Kaplan, and Corey Brock. And for Al Melchior, I'm Michael Beller. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with you soon Friday. Another waiver episode with Al and DVR. So be sure to check that out. We'll talk to you later. 